I am so happy to see you uh, visually with my eyes in this audio medium. I'm positively thrilled. Today, we're talking about Billy Elliot, and by we, I mean me, and I'm going to do that now. <laughs> Billy Elliot uh, was a movie, and then it was a musical. It was a non-musical non movie. It was a talkie, if you will, and then it became a musical on the stage. And now I'm going to give you a plot synopsis because my dad is listening and he's never seen it. Uh, <laughs> this will be a synopsis of the musical, not the movie. They're almost the same, but whatever. So, Billy Elliot is about a boy very predictably named Billy Elliot. It's 1984 and he lives in a small town in the north of England. This is set during the 1984-85 coal miners strike. As a stupid American, I'm extremely unfamiliar with the history and political implications of this event, but Billy's dad and his brother Tony are coal miners and they are on strike along with most of the men in the village. That's sort of, that's why it's relevant here. Billy starts taking ballet class through a series of events. The teacher's name is Mrs. Wilkinson and it's only girls in the class because of course it is, but he likes it. So he keeps taking ballet classes, but it's a secret. He doesn't tell his dad because it's 1984 in a small town in the north of England. And then his dad, his dad's name is Jackie, by the way, he obviously finds out for plot reasons, and he, he finds out that Billy's taking ballet, and then he forbids Billy from taking ballet anymore because he thinks it means he's gay, and it's 1984. Then Mrs. Wilkinson tells Billy that he should try out for the Royal Ballet School in London, and she says that she will tutor him privately, and it can be a secret again, and don't worry, she's not a pedophile, and they do acknowledge that it seems like she might be one. Then, Billy visits his friend Michael, who is dressing up in his sister's clothes, and they sing a tap number about cross-dressing, so there's that. Anyway, so there's this audition that Billy is supposed to go to, but he misses it because Tony gets beat up by police, and Tony has this shouting match with Mrs. Wilkinson about whether or not Billy should be taking ballet, and then Billy dances very angrily for a couple minutes, and that's the end of Act 1. Act two, it's Christmas, it's been a couple months and Billy hasn't danced at all. Everybody hates Margaret Thatcher. Oh, I just got a notification. Y'all, I'm not a professional, I left my phone on. Anyway, it's Christmas, everybody hates Margaret Thatcher, Jackie is sad, and Michael is gay, but we already kind of assumed that. Then there is another big dance scene. This time it's a duet between Billy and an imaginary older Billy, um, and they dance to Swan Lake, and then we like snap back into reality and Jackie sees him dancing and he's like convinced now. Like he's going to support Billy now because if he can make it in the dance world and it is better for him than if he became a minor like Jackie because he's aware that his profession is kind of dying. So they like help, the town helps them fundraise and then Billy goes to this audition in London. He's very nervous and he doesn't think it goes well. Um, and he also hits some posh kid in the face, which is very funny, but anyway... The most important thing that happens in that scene is Billy sings a song about what it feels like when he dances and he has another emotional dance sequence. Then we cut right to the day that Billy gets his acceptance letter from the school, he got in. Meanwhile, the miners union caved, so essentially the strike did not work. It was like they striked for like a year and then it didn't work and Tony very cheerily informs Billy that by the time he gets back home from the ballet school, everyone he knows will be unemployed. Uh, so love that. Then Billy says goodbye to everyone, he talks to Miss Wilkinson, and then he talks to his dead mom. His mom is dead, by the way. That was important, but not, like, plot important. Anyway, then he talks to Michael, and then he leaves for school, and the show is over. They also have, like, a ten-minute-long curtain call, but 
That's the end. So, now I've told you what Billy Elliot is. What am I going to say about it? Well, here's what I'm going to say about it. I don't love it the most, and I want to explain why. And the way I'm going to do that is, I'm going to talk about the movie upon which Billy Elliot the Musical is based. And I want to make a heartfelt apology for that, just right up front. I want to say I'm sorry, because... You may have heard already on this podcast, I really firmly believe that remakes and adaptations should not be interrogated for simply being different than the source material. I think that's pointless and stupid. But I do think it is fair to criticize an adaptation or remake if it has a problem and to bring up the original as a point of comparison if it is relevant. And in this case, the original is relevant because I think everything I have a problem with in the Billy Elliot musical can boil down to the medium of musical theater. Which is really weird, right? Because you'd think a story about a little dancing boy would be a perfect thing to make a musical out of, but it wasn't. So, I think this show could be a really interesting case study in the strengths and drawbacks of the medium, and the fact that maybe not every story is well-suited to be adapted. So let's get started. Actually, let's not get started. Let's turn up the gain on my microphone because my levels are really low. That might not have actually done anything. That might have just made the background noise louder. So we'll see how it sounds in post. The first thing I'm going to talk to you about is spectacle. In the terms of, like, Aristotle, spectacle encompasses basically every visual and scenic and sonic aspect of a show. It's the costumes, it's the makeup, the lighting, the sound design, like, all the embellishment. In colloquial use, and the way I tend to use it, the word spectacle refers more specifically to exaggerated elements of these embellishments. Billy Elliot the movie is almost anti-spectacle. Like, visually, there's absolutely nothing. And I say that with love, but everything visual is a go-girl-give-us-nothing moment. Like, the sound is the most prominent element because they occasionally have some fun, like, period pop music but that is all. Like, it's very low spectacle. They do occasionally have crazy wide shots for no reason, but it's extremely reserved in terms of embellishment. Reserve, reserved is the name of the game in Billy Elliot the movie. In contrast, Billy Elliot the stage musical, it does not by any means have the most or largest or even large at all spectacle in the terms of a musical, but it does have some because spectacle is a vital and inherent part of musical theater. Like, I mean, they're singing and dancing every couple minutes, and that in itself is a sort of spectacle. So there is some, and at moments there's a lot. And there's a few different ramifications of this approach, and they come into play at different times. So one of the things it can do is, and I want to say this gently, beat you over the head with stuff. And... I think a really good example of this is the scene where Billy and Michael sing a song about cross-dressing. So this scene happens in the movie too. And the way it happens in the movie is Billy goes to Michael's house. Michael is in a dress and they have like half a conversation about that being weird. But mostly Billy wants to talk to him about whether or not he should go to the Royal Ballet School. So Billy keeps redirecting the conversation there. And we are obviously as viewers supposed to pay attention to the fact that Michael is wearing quote-unquote girl clothes. But the way the scene is like 
constructed. It is sort of just something that passes by because Billy allows it to kind of pass by. And that's the important thing about the scene is that we see Billy not caring. And as viewers, we process that and understand what it says about his character and about what statements the movie is trying to make. But it's very low key. Here's how the same scene happens in the musical. That same conversation happens, but it's a bit shorter and more funny. And then it devolves into a big tap number about it's, how it's okay to wear quote-unquote girl clothes because there's nothing wrong with expressing yourself. Like, the line is literally, what the hell's wrong with expressing yourself? So this is a more blunt approach. <laughs> and what's the issue with this? Well, first of all, there's sort of an issue that you see a lot of people talk about with a lot of things where it's like, the writer thinks you're stupid and that you don't understand the sentiment unless they spell it out for you. And people have a big problem with that. And that's a valid criticism. Personally, I think a bigger problem with this particular situation is that it removes this very important sense of, like, I don't know how to articulate it very well, but the, like, childishness. Like, I hope this makes sense, but Billy is 11, right? He might be 12. I think he's going to be 11 in the movie and 12 in the musical. But, either way, there's this quality that children tend to have where they are able to escape societal pressures in a way that adults are not able to a lot of the time. It's like those Facebook posts where kindergarten teachers will talk about how their class casually accepted the idea of gay marriage and they're only five. It's like, obviously those things are taught implicitly and even explicitly from birth, but there's a period of your life where you have not yet developed an explicit awareness of them. And at 11 or 12, you're honestly right at the edge of that still applying to you depending on the person and you know, the circumstances, but it allows you to throw out notions of societal norms because they are not as important to you as the situation immediately at hand. So for Billy in this scene, he certainly, I mean, he obviously has an awareness that boys are not supposed to wear dresses in 1984 in a small town in the north of England, but he does not ridicule or otherwise alienate Michael for it because he cares more about the fact that Michael is his friend and that he wants to ask Michael what he thinks about the Royal Ballet School. But critically, Billy Elliot, if you asked him on this day in this scene what he thought about boys wearing dresses or the reason he didn't leave when he found out Michael was cross-dressing, he would absolutely not say to you out loud there is nothing wrong with expressing yourself. And neither would Michael. For them, it does not come from a place of self-awareness that they are making a statement and defying social norms. Like, that's what the show is doing. The show writers and creators know they're doing that. But Billy Elliot and Michael... I don't know his surname. Billy and Michael do not know that they are doing that. So I think it's more effective to not make a blatant outright statement through the mouths of prepubescent boys who shouldn't be that aware of themselves. And I hear what you're saying. Fair point. But is this really the fault of the spectacle? Well... No, it's not directly, but I have a theory that when somebody is writing a scene in a musical and they know that they need to put a song in this scene, that forces them to dwell on the concepts presented in that scene in a way that can be overburdening because you need to fill out three minutes of talking about it, right? And I don't all want to imply that you can't do subtlety in musical theater. I think you absolutely can, and many people do. But I think you can also 
not do subtlety. And I think, I think Billy Elliot might have actually been more at risk for this because it was being adapted from something else. Especially because the adaptation is generally quite faithful to the movie. So they were literally working with scenes that were almost pre-written for them and then inserting songs into them. And I just think that when you're looking at a script and trying to find places to stick songs is just not a great idea. That's not the best situation to write in. You can end up dwelling on things in ways that are not advantageous. And of course, the singing and dancing numbers are part of the spectacle themselves, but I think there's even a second layer of this where, and this is obviously speculation, but if the creative team of this show was maybe sitting down and thinking, musicals have big showy numbers, we should have a big showy number, that's going to make the number even longer. It's going to keep you dwelling on that and emphasize it even more. Like, this number has big personified dresses on hangers tap dancing. Like, it just removes the gentleness, which I think is a really a strong suit of the movie. Another thing that the spectacle can do is just waste your time. And this is sort of related because I think it also arises from putting songs into a script that was pre-built not to need them, but it just, there's no story value to spectacle, right? The whole point is that it's embellishment, so it's not useful to us plot-wise. Like, okay, here's my example for this one. It's the Christmas scene. In the movie on Christmas, we see a very short scene of Jackie smashing apart Billy's mom's piano, Billy's dead mom's piano, because they need it for firewood. And Billy says something about, like, do you think she would mind? And Jackie says, she's dead. And then it cuts, like, smash cut to the family a very sadly and silently eating Christmas dinner. And they all say Merry Christmas. Well, they probably say Happy Christmas. They're, I don't know. And then Jackie starts sobbing, and it smash cut to the scene with Michael. In the musical, there is a multiple minutes long scene, which includes a fake raffle that means nothing, Tony wearing an elf costume, and an extended full company number with puppets where they sing about how they wish Margaret Thatcher was dead. And then Jackie starts singing an old folk song and cries. Oh, fun fact about that scene, by the way. On the day that Margaret Thatcher died, they, like, had the audience of Billy Elliot on the West End vote if they wanted to omit the song where they say that they're waiting with bated breath for the moment she passes away. And I believe it was two people voted to omit it, and everyone else said go ahead, so they did perform it. I just think that's funny. Anyway, Honk if Thatcher's dead. So anyway, there's a very big difference between those two scenes. And while the song about Thatcher is fun and entertaining, I don't believe it to be worthwhile. Like, it has a minuscule purpose in the story. And as I watch it, I genuinely, as a viewer was watching and feeling like it was wasting my time. And by the way, this musical is two and a half hours long without the lengthy curtain call, and the movie for comparison is an hour and 50 minutes. And I'm just left sitting here wondering why we're adding full company numbers that we didn't need and why the show isn't a half hour shorter. The most important problem with the spectacle in this show is that it removes a level of reality, which I'm going to talk about in more depth right now. Here's the thing, the medium of live theater, and especially musical theater, is unique in that the suspension of disbelief is at a level 
really not matched by any other medium at the base level. Like, obviously, you know, a fantasy story or something has a very high suspension of disbelief. But in theater, like, a normal slice of life story has a very high suspension of disbelief because it is built into the medium that it is very obviously not real. You can see the curtain, right? And because you're willing to excuse that, you're also willing to excuse people breaking into song and dance and all sort of things that don't happen in the real world. And that leaves the door wide open for the metaphorical. Like, this is why you get abstract spectacle, like personified dresses on hangers, tap dancing. And this is why you get dream ballets and breaking the fourth wall and double casting and all the weird, cool things we all love. It's because theater thrives on pushing your suspension of disbelief to its limit. And that is one of my favorite things about live theater. However, Billy Elliot, the movie, does not at all, and does not want to or try to, rely on the metaphorical. It is intensely literal. You'd think there'd be some whimsy in a film about a little dancing boy, but there, there is not. There's no whimsy here. There's one scene where Billy, like, hallucinates his mother being there, and we're meant to understand that he essentially... He's, like, so used to her being there. Like, his brain's on autopilot and fills her in, and then we see her visually on screen. That is the only time the movie really gets abstract. Otherwise, it very plainly presents what happens in-universe, besides, like, the score. It adds a score on top. Like, it's very... It's truly a film that's deeply grounded in reality. And that's why I think it's less effective in the medium of musical theater. And there's sort of a debate you could have here between what is more impactful, like... Is it more effective to be metaphorical or is it more effective to be literal? And this can be, I mean, this is obviously very personal depending on just how your brain works, so everybody's going to prefer one over the other. But I think for Billy Elliot, the literal approach is more impactful, and I'm going to explain to you why. It's because Billy Elliot is not a story about a whimsical, imaginative little boy. Like, you know... This is going to be a weird comparison. You know in A Christmas Story where Ralphie has, like, the fantasy scenes where he goes blind? Or, like, like Fred. <laughs> the Fred movie. Or even, like, Rocketman. Rocketman has these, like, weird, flashy, fantastical touches because they reflect Elton John's mind and his style. Billy Elliot, the movie, does none of that. And it's because Billy is not a silly boy. And it's important that the film reflects this lack of being a silly, whimsical little boy because, by all measures, Billy should be a whimsical, silly little boy. Like, at 11, he shouldn't have lost that yet. But he has because of his dead mom and his family's financial situation and the strike and all of it. So at its core, Billy Elliot is a story about a very young boy for whom life has stopped being fun. And that is why it is vitally important that he finds dance as an escape. That's what makes this story impactful, and that's what makes it meaningful that dance is so important to him and that he pursues it so heavily. And so we as an audience, we need to be confronted with the brutally plain reality of his situation in order to understand why dance is so important to him. Like, you need to see the dirt on the ground and, like, the nasty brick walls in his neighborhood. You see, you need to see it all because you have to understand that what the world looks like for Billy is exactly what the world looks like to you, the grizzled adult watching this film. Right? Because there's this... Billy 
is the point of view character, right? And there's this idea in of like what you see in a film is always going to have a perspective. And so this movie is almost a hundred percent from Billy's perspective. He is the main character and that is the way it is told. And so by presenting it this way, the film is telling us that that is Billy is not in his mind embellishing his world. He is he does not have that imaginative power or tendency. He's seeing what we see and we're seeing what he sees and it's just the plain dirty world that he lives in just presented exactly the way it is. Because that's the heartbreaking part, right? And that's what makes his ballet beautiful. That's why the scene where the lady asks him like how it feels to dance and he says it feels like electricity and that he's like outside of his reality and he forgets everything, that's why that scene is meaningful. And that's why I think it's important for this story to be told very plainly and very literally, because it gives you that level of impact and it gives you that level of understanding. And that's why I think the film is more effective. Because there's obviously, you know, if we're going with perspective in the musical, we are seeing some silliness, some showiness, you know, and it's less meaningful. Dance as an escape, the concept of Billy having, like, doing ballet as an escape from his world, which the musical actually focuses more than the movie does on the idea that dance is good for Billy because it gives him a potential out rather than just being stuck being a minor in a dying profession. The musical actually, like, in the text, focuses on that more than the movie does. But they fail to add the extra layer of Billy having lost all ability to imagine a way out himself, which is why it's meaningful in the movie that he finds dance as that way out. Because without it, he would still be in the very poor, dirty, you know, all of it. He would still be where he began, and he would be a minor, you know? Anyway, that was long-winded. That's why I think the film is more effective. <laughs> and look, I want you guys to know that I think the Billy Elliot musical is fine. <laughs> I think it's good, even. I would never even have these criticisms if I hadn't seen the movie first, because really it's a perfectly fine show. There's a reason it ran on the West End for, like, 14 years or something. But it's also, I think it's an interesting lesson in what may be, what may be a difficult truth for you and I, which is that while I adore the medium of musical theater, it is not the best medium for every story. It just isn't. And that's okay. And I think this might be a good segue to just gently remind everyone that the best musicals are not made because someone looks at something that already exists and thinks that should be a musical. The best musicals are made because someone has a story to tell and musical theater is the best medium in which to tell that story. That's the moral of this episode, is that not everything works in every medium, and then in the musical theater world, we really benefit from original thought and not from, say, adaptations of existing properties that are already good in their original medium, but that people want to adapt because they know it will make money. That's my pearl of wisdom today. And I don't know, maybe I'm being unfair. Because obviously you can do musical theater without 
like, big, large amounts of spectacle. People have done it. And I would love to see a version of Billy Elliot the musical that is a little bit more subdued and reserved. But that's not what we got, and I think there's a reason that it's not what we got. And I are, I just told you about that for 25 minutes, so... <laughs> it's time for me to stop talking. Okay. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope you're having a great May so far. Thank you to Silt for this podcast theme music. If you would like to conversate or converse or talk with me, you can follow me on Twitter at BreakLegsPod, or you can email me at BreakLegsPodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and I'm recording this on my friend Cameron's birthday. Happy birthday, Cameron. Oh, also, just as a little, just as a little celebration, in between recording the last episode and recording this episode, I got my second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, and in about a week and a half, no, in about a week, I will be fully vaccinated. So, get vaccinated, and yeah, I hope everyone has a wonderful day, exclamation point, heart emoji.